Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. There's certainly lots of ways to invest in real estate, and we're searching for yield in this series. Today, we'll talk about commercial real estate on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. It may not be obvious, but your retirement account has the power to work miracles, if only you'll let it. Hi, it's Robert Helms, and Russ and I are excited to invite you to Planning for Prosperity, a one-day educational event taking place in beautiful Orlando, Florida on Friday, October 2nd. Hosted by NewView IRA, this alternative investment symposium will cover a wide variety of topics from a great panel of speakers, including Rich Dad Advisor and best-selling author Ken McElroy, IRA custodian Glenn Mather, attorney Joel Nagel, and the real estate guys back for our second year. Discover how to get started investing inside your retirement account, how to move from earned income to passive income, and where to find great deals suitable for your IRA. Tickets are just $99, and all profits go to the Wheelchair Foundation. Get the details on our website at realestateguysradio.com under events, where you'll see Planning for Prosperity. We can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. I'm Robert Helms. Let's meet our co-host, financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. You know, it's fun. We're doing this series on uh, yield. How do we find more yield? And the premise, of course, is that single-family homes are uh, slimmer pickings today. A lot of folks are bidding that up, especially when it comes to investor-type product. Uh, and then, of course, cap rates and apartments are down. So residential real estate investors are looking for other possible places to invest. And we've talked the last few weeks about different places you might consider. Today, we're going to look at the obvious other category, not residential property, but commercial property. Yep. There's all kinds of reasons people need real estate in their lives. And uh, the two basics are to live and to work. Right. And so if when you're not living, um, and although we have a lot of people in a virtual economy that are living at home today, and we'll probably talk a little bit about that, but the fact is that there's office buildings and uh, retail buildings and industrial buildings and all kinds of spaces that people need to manufacture things and conduct business. So that creates demand. And as an economy begins to recover or moves around up and down, it creates inefficiencies just like it does in residential real estate. And so for people who are in that space who can understand those trends, and it's largely localized, just like residential real estate is, uh, there's opportunities to get in there and do the same techniques, value add, improve the management, do better marketing, all of those things. And then also to specialize in specific niches that maybe are doing better and have the ability to pay a little bit more. And it's just a matter of what do you choose to be expert in. So here's our broad categories. When we talk about commercial real estate, you can ask 
absolutely count hotel and resort, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You can count large apartment, but we're really going to focus on three areas. Retail, so that is everything from your local strip mall up to the giant big box. We're going to talk about office, to your point about businesses. A lot of businesses aren't necessarily retail businesses. They're office businesses. And finally, industrial, which we don't talk about too often, but industrial is fairly interesting to look at right now for a variety of reasons we're going to talk about. So uh, when we look at commercial real estate, there's a couple of main differences. And I think one of the first ones you have to understand is size and scope followed by financing. Yeah, so a lot of pricing and a lot of profitability is driven by the financing structure. Is the financing available? That will push the price up. The more financing available, the higher prices go. Just look at student loans, right, and, and the price of college. Anything the government subsidizes gets more expensive, you know, probably gonna happen in healthcare, different discussion. At any rate, so financing is an important part of it. One of the things that led the apartment sector was the availability of government financing in residential housing when most commercial, hotel, a lot of other financing fell apart. And so you saw a big surge of growth in that in that particular sector. This is the resiliency of residential. Everybody knows that when times are good, people want a nice place to live. When times are bad, people want a roof. So the government, in this case, the government-sponsored entities, enterprises, are definitely interested in creating liquidity in that market. And in many ways, it's not even the residential nature, it's the lending nature. The fact that those loans are available at very favorable interest rates is a reason a lot of investors have pursued apartments. Well, and so the bigger picture, you know, behind the macro side of it is to boost the economy. It's no secret that the Fed created $4 trillion of additional liquidity, and a lot of it gets funneled through the banks, and they look for places to lend it. And so residential was the safest place to be because it had all government guarantees. Uh, the challenge now is there's not as many borrowers showing up because they can't afford to borrow because the even though the interest rates are low, the cap rates are so low because there's so many people with money competing. So that's why we're doing this series. Now people are starting to begin to look at the commercial side of things and more money will begin to funnel into the commercial side of things. More private lenders are coming on board so that you don't have the same government issues that you've got. And so it's a sector that has an opportunity to begin to recover. Of course, you have to be creating jobs and there's other things, but you can begin to understand that when, when you're looking at the profitability of a particular sector, the availability of financing, when there's not financing, if you can get into it, you have a competitive advantage. Number two is when the interest rate on any financing you do put together are low if you can create a spread between the cost of money that you're going out in your interest expenses versus what you're able to bring in in your rents if you can find the right niche in the right market now you have an opportunity to have a profitable deal that gives you some yield so financing plays a major major role in both commercial and residential and of course today we're talking about commercial let's talk a little about investment philosophy why do people choose commercial over residential well a lot of it has to do with the nature of the tenants in many cases you'll hear us talk about credit tenants those are big companies with big balance sheets and a long history of paying their rent in multiple places so if i'm say a retail developer i want starbucks because i know they're going to pay their rent i know they're going to be a draw I don't want Sally's Coffee Shop as much as I want Starbucks because Sally's Coffee Shop may make the greatest coffee on earth, but they don't have the marketing, they don't have the wherewithal, they don't have the corporate roots that a bigger company has. And so that's true in every sector, whether it's office or industrial or retail, who the tenant is 
generally favors stability for the types of investors that want those things. If I'm a residential investor, my apartment or my house is going to rent every month. Now, maybe it's a year lease, but you know what? If the market changes in that year, I'm going to have to adjust my price. I might have to lower my price to attract or to keep a tenant. I might be able to raise my price if the market is good. In retail, office, and industrial, the leases can be 5, 10, 30 years yeah, and very often without a cost of living adjustment, if you will. So you get into a deal based on what today's market is, you might not be able to get out of it, right? We bought an office building where we had a tenant who was paying $4 a square foot a month. Okay, now a lot of times when you hear office and commercial, the dollar per square foot is an annual number, but this was a market where because it was a big number, it was usually traded at the dollars per square foot per month, four bucks a square foot. This company during their tenancy got acquired by a bigger company who moved all of the people and all of their equipment out, but still had four and a half years remaining in our lease. Well, by the time that happened and they came to us and said, hey, we'd like to maybe buy out the lease or would you consider it letting us out of the lease? The market rate then was about $1.75 a square foot. And the answer was, mm, no, yeah, just no, we're keep paying. We're yep. good. Just keep paying. Thanks a lot. I mean, at one point, they were willing to buy us out at just a slight discount in order to just have surety. And, you know, we just thought, hey, hey a bird in the hand, right? On the other side of that, imagine you leased at the $1.75 for five years and the market took off and now you can't take advantage of that. So there's more ups and downs in the market from that perspective, but there's also more stability if you get that tenant. I remember once looking at a building that had a tenant with 28 years left in a 30-year lease and a 30-year option, and the tenant in this privately owned building was the Internal Revenue Service. I've heard of them. I'm guessing they're not going anywhere. Now today- <laughs> Isn't that a shame? <laughs> <laughs> today I'd question the integrity of their ability to pay, but still, right? So you get the idea, there's a lot of variety. So when we look at different commercial investments, it's just a different mindset. Your tenant is a different person. Many times in commercial, your tenant is a lot more hands-off. You don't have to manage a commercial tenant the same way you do a residential tenant. Oh, no, I mean, you know, you get a triple net lease, they take care of everything. They might have their own in-house maintenance and facility. I mean, you just don't, you don't have to deal with any of that. The part that makes it difficult for an undercapitalized or lesser capitalized investor is the leasing commissions and the tenant improvements. Because when you do to bring that tenant in, it costs you a bunch of money because you basically rehab the property and pay a big commission to get the person in. But once you've made that capital investment, the property, the commission, the TIs, then whatever the net, net, net is, that's pretty much yours. So you just threw out a bunch of terms, and I want to make sure under no investor left behind, we explain some of this. First of all, what does triple net mean? That means that the tenant in the property is responsible for the various expense categories, like the common area maintenance charges, like the property taxes, like all the utilities. So each one of those is a net. Triple net means your tenant is 100% responsible. So imagine you put a tenant in for 10 years into your retail building, and property taxes go up. That's not your problem. That's the tenant's problem because you pass those along. What happens when the utility bills go up? Well, the tenant pays for that. What happens when the toilet breaks? Well, the tenant's going to have their maintenance person take care of it. You're not getting calls in the middle of the night. So that's what the triple net part is. So just, I mean, again, I'm, I'm kind of simple. I just look at it like leasing a car. If I go lease a car, the person who owns the car, which is the company that gave it to me, they give me the car. It's their car. 
I make the payment and that's what they bartered for. But if I got to, I'm the one that gets to change the oil, fix the flat tires, you know, wash the windshield. If I get a chip, it's my insurance. It's going to take care of it. I mean, they're done until I bring the car back. If you're trying to understand what a triple net lease is as a landlord, just imagine you're the person who gives the person the car and the person who's driving the car, it's hundred percent of responsibility until they give the car back. Absolutely. Now let's talk about the commissions. When we're residential landlords, we typically pay a property manager some percentage of the monthly rent. And that's a model most investors understand. It doesn't work like that necessarily in commercial. Even though there are asset managers that manage big commercial buildings, they're going to have a percentage, but it's going to be a lot lower percentage than what you probably pay in residential. But it is that leasing commission. A leasing commission is paid on the life of the lease and often on some graduated scale. So we could spend a whole hour on that, but it would bore most of you. Just understand that the upfront load costs are expensive if you're putting the tenant in. It's why buying a property that already is tenanted with some lease life left can make a lot of sense. You have the rent history. You know someone's in that location doing business. Now, what you have to vet, of course, is the tenant any other way you would. What's the health and the likelihood that the tenant will continue? It always comes down to understanding, you know, you're underwriting the income. It's like making a loan. You have to understand who's the person on the other side that's going to be responsible for that stream of income. And you're concerned with where it comes from, how durable it is, how experienced and proven they are in managing their cash. The great news is a lot of companies, especially publicly traded companies, financials are readily available. But even private companies, you know, you can get CPA statements and sometimes even audited financials. You know, if it's a big lease, it's not unreasonable to make a request. There's some expense involved. You might even have to pay for that expense depending on the deal. But at the end of the day, you need to understand the customer's business and do they really have the capability to fulfill the life of that lease? And if they don't, are there enough assets on their balance sheet that you can go after? Which brings up a different discussion about who is signing the lease versus who you think is signing the lease. I remember we had a discussion with our good friend Kim Kiyosaki who bought a building that was tenanted by a very well-known sports club, a gym except when they looked at the lease, it wasn't the big national credit rated tenant that was signing. It was some little LLC that was the ownership group. And so they went in and they had to get a stronger backing than just that little newly formed single purpose LLC. Yeah, that would be a major rookie error 101. You know, you really have to understand when you're looking at a lease agreement, the legal entity that is signing the agreement, because that's who it is. It's not necessarily the brand that is attached to that, right? There could be, you know, again, these companies have multiple companies and they create them for various purposes. And, you know, if you're smart, if you're on the other side of the fence, you say, well, okay, I'm a big company. I got big business. I got big assets and balance sheet. You know, I've got big income, all that stuff. And I'm going to go sign this lease. I'm going to create a shell company that I'm going to use for the purpose of signing the lease. They'll have the obligation to the landlord where I will have the obligation to the shell company. And so my assets are insulated, right? I mean, if I'm on the other side of it, I probably would try to do that. But on the other side of it, if I'm the landlord, I'm going to make sure I understand the financials of the, the entity actually signing the lease. And Kim was extremely well advised to do that. Yeah. And so, you know, not to make it more complicated than it is, just understand that your tenant profile is different in commercial than it is in residential. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the three categories, retail, office, and industrial. We'll give some evergreen ideas about it, and then we'll give where the market is today. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. 
If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the Secrets of Successful Syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. When the housing market crashed in 2008, San Antonio led the way in appreciation and cash flow. Would you like to have a strong, reliable investment that performs in both up and down markets? Cash flow is the key to successful investing and we have tons of positive cash flow properties for our ATW investors. Come see why the Milken Institute rated San Antonio the number one economy in the United States and why San Antonio is the only major city in the country to have a AAA bond rating. ATW Investments can teach you strategies for building strong, secure wealth with investments starting at $5,000. ATW's patented, proven, and powerful system will do all the hard work for you. ATW is where the perfect market meets the perfect strategy and produces the perfect results in your portfolio. To get started, go to the resource section of the Real Estate Guys website or email us at contact at atw-investments.com. Hi, I'm Robert Kiyosaki, and I encourage you to listen to those wild and crazy Real Estate Guys. They're the best, been working for years, and they know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program, the number one downloader podcast on real estate investing. Thanks for listening wherever you're listening. The listeners are more than 180 countries, which is so cool. And there's real estate in all those countries, I believe. <laughs> I've, I've heard that's true. I've actually heard real estate actually is off-planet as well. That's true. You know, uh, Elon Musk is trying to uh, colonize Mars, so who knows? Maybe uh, there'll be a real estate play there as well, and that might be in search of yield or, or in search of oxygen. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so uh, we're talking today about alternatives to residential investment and really looking at the big commercial space today and those categories. And there's lots of them, but we're focusing on three. And the first we're going to talk about today is retail. Retail means that your tenant is a business that does retail interchange with folks. And that can be on lots of different levels as we'll talk about. But understand that people listen to this show live on the radio, recently on the podcast, and seven years after we recorded it. So we're going to take each of these segments and kind of give you the nickel tour on what the asset class looks like generically. And then here nearing the end of 2015, we'll talk about where the various markets is. So retail can be everything from a little strip mall in your neighborhood to a giant, big retail multi-entertainment complex. Hard for individual investors to invest in something super big without doing it in terms of a syndication, but certainly possible. Retail is everywhere, and retail doesn't have to be huge. Think of all the freestanding buildings in your marketplaces that are tenanted by retailers. Yeah, I mean, think about you go where you get your nails done, where you drop your dry cleaning off, you stop into, it used to be you'd go pick up and rent a video. Remember when you used to do that? I can't remember that. Yeah, I just so downloaded it. We're going to talk a little bit about how, Stream, baby. how things change and uh, the kind of tenants you might want to look for and avoid. 
but those you know those little strip malls um, sometimes there's individual single-use buildings it could be a little cutesy building that houses a specialty restaurant or a gas station or little the little poodle palace or whatever that's decorated you know the, the, the house looks like a dog or whatever I mean you know these things that people create or like a golf a miniature golf I mean that's a very specialized retail property so or car wash things like this so the idea is there's a lot of different variety in these types of product types and you have to look at the core of what customer these people serve how strong that particular demographic is in their spending habits how easily that revenue flow could be disrupted by changes in distribution and technology we've seen a lot of that happen in the retail space but if you get the formula right you can have a very vibrant center and it's when I say formula it's not just making sure you got the right tenants but the right mix of tenants because some people you can put a bunch of people in who compete with each other that's not smart you can put a bunch of people in who aren't compatible you wouldn't put a Saks Fifth Avenue right next to a you know a dollar store you know right because it serves a completely different demographic of course the people who are running those businesses are smart enough not to do that but little mom and pop shopkeepers sometimes aren't and your responsibility as a landlord is a strategic real estate investors to help them get that mix right so that they are leveraging their advertising dollars as they're marketing their businesses. They're bringing in people who will then walk down the mall and patronize all of those businesses. And when they do, all that money flows up to you as the landlord. This is such a huge point. That is not a consideration in residential investing. It just isn't. Your income stream in residential is based on the likelihood that a tenant is going to enjoy your property and pay you for it. You do have a mission as an investor in retail to help your tenant. And there's a lot of ways this gets done at the big level. Think of the big regional shopping centers, the malls even, all those folks generally have a big budget where the mall or the power center goes out and runs full page ads, sometimes full pullout sections, big advertising campaigns on TV and radio, online advertising to draw you into their big sales event. All that is done in support of their little retailer. Now, a lot of the uses that you mentioned are what we could would consider secondary and tertiary uses, right? On our field trips, we talk about cones. Those are the industries that big bring money in from outside. But a lot of the retail businesses exist to service those people, the dry cleaner. If there's not jobs in your marketplace, there's no clothes to dry clean. Right. So you have to look at the stability of the market overall, not just the business. The dry cleaner might be banging it up and doing a great bit, bit of business. But two blocks down the way, a brand new dry cleaner is opening. It's going to take half their business. you got to pay attention to that stuff. Yeah, you can see that just based on our uh, energy on this particular topic, it's a really intriguing niche. You know, when you talk about commercial, like if you're going to rent a big office building, which we'll probably talk about in a minute, you know, that's kind of a singular type deal. And if you are going to do an industrial thing, it could be largely a singular type deal. It, or even in an apartment building, you know, you can do some value added stuff, but the creativity you can bring to read is really remarkable and there's I would argue a lot of retail strip owners that really are not managing their clientele strategically and when you identify one of those and you can pick one of those up and you have a game plan for how you're going to reorder the mix of those tenants and how you're going to do creative things to help all of them leverage the available marketing dollars they have to get more bang for their buck and you become part of helping them grow their businesses and therefore growing your stability and perhaps the volume of your rental income 
that's a real value-added play and a very, very unique niche you can play in as a way to get yield out of a market when, you know, there's not a lot of yield available in some of the plug-and-play stuff. That's a retail rehab right there. Bigger stuff, you're going to invest in a syndication like we talked about last week. And you might sit alongside a bunch of other investors who are investing in some big mammoth project, and that's fine. But when we're talking about value add in retail, there's just a ton you can do. Now, there are some caveats, right? There are particular buildings that are so unique for the use that if you lose that tenant, you're in trouble, right? I remember we had Dolph DeRusso on the program years ago, and he had funeral homes. Well, a funeral parlor and a funeral home, not only is the building kind of set up for that, it carries a local stigma for a long time. So you're not going to put a pizza place inside of what used to be a funeral home and, and be very effective. No, no, that kills business. Exactly. <laughs> so the other side of it is that in individual retail, the global concern retail investors have had a long time is how is technology changing the way that we interact with retail businesses? Well, I mean, this is huge. And this is very, very, very huge. You know, you talked earlier about Sally's Coffee Shop, which at least you have to go in and drink the cup of coffee. You can't order it online. But you know, if you go to Fred's phone shop, you can order every single one of those things online and you never have to visit the phone shop or worse, you visit the phone shop to shop and then you go out to save two nickels and order it online and put poor Fred out of business. In any case, there are certain types of retail business that are just more dangerous to be in, more difficult to be in. And so sometimes you want to avoid the temptation, especially if you're going to have to invest heavily in TIs and a person who maybe doesn't have a strong balance sheet, going to be very difficult to collect from if they break the lease. TIs are tenant improvement typically done by the landlord. You have an empty shell of a building to lease out. Get over this quickly. Retail tenants don't have a lot of capital. Otherwise, they'd own the building, and they don't. So they are looking to you as the landlord to say, Mr. Landlord, if I'll sign a lease for five years, would you fix this up real nice so I can operate my business out of it? And that's typical. And depending again on the market, sometimes markets are really tight, and it's hard for retailers to get in, in which case they're going to be expected to do most of those tenant improvements. But in many, many markets, in a lot of markets today, the landlord, in order to attract that tenant, is going to have to spend money along with those leasing commissions to get that tenant in. So you better make sure that they're going to stay. Yeah. So if you if you gravitate more towards a collection of things that are more personal services, that things have people have to actually visit the shopping center in order to get, they can't order them online, could be doctors, dentists, you know, medical, it could be personal things like mani-pedis and hair and beauty, and it could be a gym, it could be food of all different kinds, refreshments, desserts, all kinds of stuff, you know, maybe uh, kids' activities, a little taekwondo center, there's a lot, yoga, Pilates, I mean, there's a lot of things where people have to go to the center and able to enjoy it, Right. and you want that to happen, because it's nice to have, like, the little insurance agent or whatever, and yes, he's local, and maybe Maybe you're not going to order that online. But to me, even with that, you're not going to have as many people coming in into the center. I like having a reason for people to come to the center and then spend their money across all the doors. All right. We can spend a lot more time on retail, but we won't. You get the idea. Let's talk about where the retail market is right now. Really, the thing hurting retail, and, and, and how do you find this information now? Let's just quickly cover that. The great news in commercial is a lot of big brokers publish quarterly reports on these sectors. So if, if you just Google retail real estate report, office real estate report, industrial real estate, 
you'll get a lot of these sources and you'll be able to keep your pulse and what's happening. And they're usually done quarterly. They're done in all different um, geographic sectors. Many of them are done internationally. But let's just focus on this report, which is from Jones Lang LaSalle that talks about retail in the second quarter of 2015. So they don't quite have their information published for the third quarter of 2015 since we're still in it. But here's what they say. The retail real estate recovery is lagged behind all of the major property types, but its current pace of growth translates into real opportunity in the next several years. Class B and C malls in secondary and tertiary markets continue to be a topic of conversation. And most of that conversation, by the way, revolves around the fact that they're antiquated and need to either be torn down or revamped. And buyers are plentiful for retail as they recognize the high yield potential. However, locating acceptable financing has been difficult because many lenders today are skittish of NOI erosion due to recent department store struggles. So there we are back to the model of retail real estate. Department stores still exist and people still go there, but less and less. And they're having to recognize that and landlords are looking at that. And of course, as the financing community looks at that, they're not as willing to lend. Well, I mean, if you look at the way some of the better run malls have morphed into being a place to go shopping, it's more of a place where communities gather. Well, they call them entertainment centers today. Exactly, exactly the case. And so it goes back to the idea that in these transitional periods, if you have enough vision, you can see the opportunities. And of course, there's a lot of guys out there that are publishing documents like this that help you begin to think how you can go in and capture these opportunities and get in where there's going to be room to grow. So in retail, transaction volume for this year is up. In fact, annual investment in retail up 12.3% year to date. Again, second quarter of 2015. Uh, tons of uh, increase in sales. Some of that is because assets are changing hands. But the change in cap rate, which is what we're interested in, is down 20 basis points, a fifth of a percent. Right. So cap rates are down. What are cap rates in retail? Well, 2014 was one of the strongest years yet, and 2015, according to this report, is on par to increase to that. Today, what they call primary cap rates are at about 4.9 to 5.8%. So that's what the return is in retail. Now, what factors into that? One of the things that factors into that is vacancy. Vacancy in retail is as high as 30% in some markets and overall is usually hovering at 12 to 15%. So there is a lot of vacancy. Now that's good and it's bad. The good is you have upside. The bad is, are there really tenants going into that space? Yeah. And again, this goes back to you really understanding who your demographic is. These regional locations serve regional consumers. And so you have to understand the regional economic health of the marketplace that this particular project is located in and then look at a tenant mix that is actually going to service them and have it make sense. And so there are always going to be lazy landlords, even at the mall level. There's always going to be opportunities for you to come in and look for a better way as an operator. And it's just your mission to figure out where you can find those things and squeeze a little bit extra out on the front end. Now, another big soundbite here is that urban retail continues to lead the overall price per square foot pricing unanchored retail is seeing strong growth. So unanchored retail, a single building, a mall with no credit tenant. Anchored retails and you have a big company and little retailers go around that for that draw. So what is the highest amount of dollars per square foot in retail of the various types of things we talked about? The answer is drugstores. Drugstores create tons of revenue and therefore 
They lease for a lot and sell for a lot. All right, when we come back, we're going to play real estate trivia, and then we're going to talk about commercial real estate as far as office and industrial. Today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Hello, Real Estate Guys listeners. This is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners. I want to talk to you for a minute about a handful of properties that we are selling right now in Metro Atlanta for less than $30,000. That's right. These are houses that we bought and have already fixed and have placed tenants in these properties and we are now selling them for less than $30,000. These are properties that are not in the hood. They are not bad areas and we've got a very high demand for tenants in this location. And right now we are selling these things for less than $30,000. Most of these properties are getting between five and $600 in rent per month. So your ROI is through the roof. On top of that, if you have interest, we would owner finance you on these deals as well. Call me today, 770-924-5450 or email me at Ken at gainvesting.com. Memphis, Tennessee is a market that delivers in more ways than one. As home to FedEx, Memphis is one of the largest distribution hubs in the world. That means working class jobs. No wonder Memphis is one of the best cash flow real estate markets in America. And the guy in Memphis who can deliver great affordable cash flow turnkey properties is Terry Kerr at Mid-South Home Buyers. Contact Terry through the resource section at realestateguysradio.com. And be sure to order Terry's Tips for Turnkey Rental Property Investing. It's free. Just send your request to turnkey at realestateguysradio.com. That's turnkey at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, I'm Mark Victor Hans. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. If you want to expand your consciousness, expand your wealth, expand your future, and have more delight and excite in your future than in your past, keep listening. The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. It's our In Search of Yield series. We're looking at different types of real estate investments that aren't residential. And today we're talking about the big commercial categories of office, retail, and industrial. We'll get back to that discussion after we play Real Estate Trivia. Your chance to win a prize by knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question, which, of course, as soon as you hear, your job is to quickly get us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. The first person with the right answer is going to get a copy of My Next Step, the great book from REMAX co-founder Dave Leniger. That can be yours if you're today's winner. Last week on the Real Estate Guys, we had Marisa Rowold on the program talking about private placements and investing in somebody else's deal. We asked this, the black-capped chickadee is the official state bird of two U.S. states. Which ones? Well, no surprise, there were thousands of entries in this particular, no, not just a few. Uh, here's the answers, Maine and Massachusetts. Maine and Massachusetts have their state bird of the black-capped chickadee. Now, I will tell you this, Massachusetts technically has another state bird because they have a state game bird, which is the wild turkey. And in case you were wondering, and somebody asked, yes, the black-capped chickadee is the provincial bird of New Brunswick in Canada. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. Where's the world's largest industrial park? Where is the world's largest real estate industrial park in terms of land area? If you know or you want to take a guess, send that to us to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and your mailing address so we can physically send you Dave Leniger's great book, My Next Step. That's today's real estate trivia question. 
we're talking about commercial real estate, let's focus on office. So we talked a little bit about the types of businesses that are in office, but office is a unique animal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we talk about housing and we talk about retail and in retail, people are dealing very much in the local community. But when you have an office complex, it could be doing business with the local community, but they could also be designing software they're selling all over the world. They could be creating music or art. They could be creating other types of consulting services that are being exported uh, all around the world or certainly out of the area. So it is possible for your office tenants to be cones in and of themselves and help create ancillary businesses. And then there's also the opportunity, like in retail, to create a dynamic in an office complex of collaboration. You know, we see these entrepreneur centers and these hubs and these things that pop up about collaboration. So again, there's room to be creative in the office space, but it is serving a different type of demographic because it isn't about walk-in traffic. It's about the dynamic between the tenants themselves or the exportation of whatever the tenants are producing outside of the the region. You know, and you talked about single-use office where the whole building is occupied by one company, and that's fairly common, but you also have multiple tenants. I mean, we go a lot of times to meet with someone at their office, and they're on the fourth floor, and there's businesses on the fifth floor and the third floor, and then all the three top floors are one business, and the bottom is a bank, right? I mean, there's those multi-use kind of properties as well. And then, of course, there's unique use for office. Look at what WeWork is doing, the way that you could assemble people as members to come into office space based on the flexibility people are seeking in their lives and the way people work today. So here is another place where technology is impacting the office market. It used to be that everyone had a job and they went there from eight to five. That is not necessarily the case. Some offices are very flexible in terms of their time. You might only spend 10 hours a week there. There's other offices that are literally occupied 24 hours a day because they have call volume or they have people that are taking internet orders or processing things like animation where they can be working all hours of the day and night. Because of technology and the ability to coordinate the demand and the use of resources, you know, think about Uber, right? Uber creates a very efficient utilization of labor and capital equipment, a car. And it isn't the same model as a traditional transportation agency with, that's less efficient. It's changing the way transportation is being done at the retail level. Think about office. People are looking for ways to create more freedom in their lives because they can because of technology, but they're also looking for ways to drive cost out of what they're doing. So if I work eight hours a day and I'm flexible, I could work, you know, nine to five. Somebody else could work five to whatever. Somebody else could work another shift and we could share an office and drive all of our collective costs down and we can find each other because of technology. So there is a myriad of things that are going on technologically, which doesn't mean the economy is getting bad. It's actually becoming more efficient, but people who don't adjust are experiencing a bad economy, whereas people who can see the change and embrace it and get in front of it are actually experiencing a booming economy. A couple of great things about office. First of all, you can have multi-story office buildings and every story that you add to a building actually decreases the cost of that square footage because you can't have a retailer on the seventh floor. That very rarely works. Yeah, maybe Macy's in San Francisco, but there's very few places where you can have retail that many stairs up. A restaurant. (laughs) But an office can certainly be on the 22nd floor, and that's great, and so you can get a lot of yield. The other thing about it is we talked about tenant improvements. If I lose my dry cleaner, and now I'm bringing in a local hamburger place, I completely have to change the interior look of the building. Office, not so much. 
An office building is an office building is an office building. Certainly, people have their own decorations and their own outfitting and their own style and maybe more big brainstorming rooms and more more cubicles. But interchanging an office building and the changes you have to go through between tenancies is usually less expensive. Yeah, I mean, having leased a few offices in my life and gone in, you know, and being in the mortgage business and the different things that I've done, a lot of times I just go in. It's an open space. It's got a conference room. It's got a few other storage areas and whatnot. And then I go in and I buy my own cubicles at my own expense and I configure it my own way. So you're right. I don't have a lot of TI demands from the landlord, which of course is a competitive advantage when I'm competing for the space. Hey, you know what? You don't have to put any money in. I'll take it as is, but bring the rent down a little bit for me. One of the big challenges in office though is the fact that businesses by their very nature change size. They downsize, they upsize. And so they, you get, the, you get a tenant who's taken the whole third floor and they come to you at renewal time and say, you know what? Gosh, most of our stuff is outsourced and we got a lot of people working from home. We need to cut our space in half. Okay. Well, you can do that and you can negotiate that, but now you've got another space that you have to lease up. And the opposite can happen. Someone can outgrow your space. And if you don't have the room for them, they're going to go somewhere else. We can't stack bodies on top of bodies. If you can't get us another thousand square feet, we're going to have to go across the street. So because of that, fitting multiple tenants into an office building has its challenges, but also the Generally, the cost of development isn't that high. Now, what's happening today in the market is that, again, this is a uh, report from uh, C.B. Richard Ellis, one of the big uh, commercial brokerages for the second uh, quarter of 2015. Uh, what's happening in the office market is that they say it's rebound because of employment. Again, we don't think that office jobs are the number one types of jobs, but those jobs are being uh, added, and we're seeing the second largest second quarter gain in office jobs since 2000. So construction activity is increasing, but mostly that's in the top 10 markets because there's still a lot of vacancy. Overall, national vacancy rate on office in the U.S., 13.5%. A little less in Europe, but 13.5% in uh, the U.S., which is a decrease of 40 basis points. So there's more occupancy, which is great. Now, rents increased. The amount people are paying in rents uh, by 1.1% year over year, and the Sales volume is up. In fact, the sales volume of office is up by 22% for the year. So office appears to be fairly strong. And actually, that's great news. If you think about just trying to figure out where an economy is headed, and a lot of times you can predict that based on how businesses are taking up space and what they're doing with the space, it gives you a lot of insight. So that that's really good news. And if you think about it, where we've been largely in a very soft economic cycle, then you have to ask yourself, what are the odds of us continuing to fall further versus rebounding? You know, and of course, there's the people out there, the doom and gloom, and I certainly have concerns. But you really have to think about how many people are out there, what the needs of the world are, how enterprising people are. And I think a lot of the challenges, especially that we have here in the U.S., are going to eventually resolve themselves because it has to do with stability. We've gone through a lot of change over the last several years, but I think it's starting to stabilize. People will adjust, and that, to me, is an indicator that's beginning to happen. Office is probably the most vanilla of the commercial markets. That can be good. That can be bad. There's not a lot you can value-add do to get the rent way up but at the same time the market is pretty easy to adapt to we come back we're going to talk about the industrial market and the opportunities perhaps there you're tuned to the real estate guys radio program i'm your host robert helms need help with your real estate investment portfolio check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com
Are you achieving everything you want in life? What if there was a time-tested way for you to get everything you've dreamed of? The most successful people in life set goals and keep themselves accountable. But how? The good news is that it's not rocket science. You too can learn the skills and unleash the motivation that will create success in your life. And now is the time. Hi, this is Robert Helms, and I'd like to personally invite you to attend Creating Your Future, the 2016 Goals Retreat, taking place January 8th through 10th in beautiful San Diego, California. This unique weekend has been called phenomenal, inspirational, and life-changing by the hundreds of people that have attended. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com and click events or call 888-489-7723, extension 18. Get your life back on track physically, spiritually, and financially. Attend the 2016 Goals Retreat on the second weekend of the new year. Click events at realestateguysradio.com and register why there's still early bird pricing. This is no dress rehearsal. Live the life you were meant to. Visit realestateguysradio.com or call 888-489-7723 today. Hi, this is Patrick Donahoe of Paradigm Life. Over the last few years, I've had the privilege of sharing the services of Paradigm Life with you loyal Real Estate Guys Radio listeners through our website, www.beerbank.com, and also on the annual Investor Summit at Sea. Subsequently, we have seen a variety of financial situations across the socioeconomic spectrum and how everyone, regardless of their situation, would improve their financial lives by following the system we specialize in. As a result of this experience, we have created an online e-learning system so anyone without obligation can learn about the infinite banking concept. This free e-learning program is found on our website, www.beerbank.com. So check it out today. The website again is www.beerbank.com. Hi, this is Anthony Mercury from Hotel Impossible, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you're trying to figure out what to do, not only with your real estate, but with your life, then come out to Creating Your Future. It's our annual goals retreat. It happens the second weekend in 2016 in beautiful San Diego, California. It is life-changing. You can check out all the details at realestateguysradio.com under events. We're talking today about increased yield, perhaps through commercial property. We've talked about retail. We've talked about office. Let's talk about industrial. This is such a unique type of property. And most people don't even consider industrial because of the sheer size of most properties. Right. But, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be really huge. It's, I have this really interesting little anecdote in that because I've become um, somewhat interested in what's been going on in Colorado and the impact of the cannabis industry. So I went out to a conference out there and looked at some real estate uh, trying to understand the real estate play. And I thought it was going to be an agricultural play, right? But it really turned out to be a commercial play because these guys are setting up uh, dispensaries, which is a retail play. And then they're setting up industrial growing. And so it's, I guess you would say it's a budding opportunity. There you go. It's smoking hot market. Uh, so what is industrial? Industrial tends to be bigger buildings, bigger infrastructure, some of it very unique, some of it not. And what you're typically looking for is uh, access to distribution. So when we go on our field trips, we're not just looking at properties. We spend a lot of time looking at market and industry because that tells us a lot. And in industries where we have, say, large rail or big airport infrastructure, then you have these industrial complexes. Sometimes they are manufacturing and it's heavy-duty stuff. Other times, industrial isn't necessarily manufacturing. It's a process of some kind. And so when you look at something like the auto industry, 
that is major industrial and they surround themselves the auto manufacturers tend to surround themselves with businesses that are complementary to right. that right so it may not be that any landlords owns the whole thing but individual buildings occupied by individual businesses that have synergy can be owned by individuals so again Industrial can be a private placement opportunity. You invest alongside other investors, but there are small industrial buildings, smaller in terms of price and not necessarily size because the cost to construct industrial is probably the cheapest of all of the real estate classes. Yeah. I mean, you don't need a lot of TIs to, you know, house a drill press or a, you know, a car. Somebody wants to store their car, or their boat or whatever. Sometimes it's very simple. These are cinder block buildings with roll up doors. It's just very basic or parking big metal lot. buildings. I mean, it's, it's re it can be really inexpensive your cost to build can be low now one of the things about industrial is the lease times tend to be really really long probably the longest of every asset class average leases of 25 years because again think about who your tenant is they aren't someone that's going to want to come in and move that it's harder to move one of the things we love about it is it's harder to move now if you happen to be the landlord in a carburetor factory well, that's harder if they're not retrofitting to today's technology. But as long as you're picking industries and businesses that seem to have good legs and good strength and stability, then industrial can be very profitable. Yeah, it always goes back to the same thing that we've been talking about, a common theme. And this is true across all types of income producing real estate is you just have to understand your demographic. You have to understand your customer. You have to understand their business. You have to understand where their money comes from, what they depend on, and how you can best support them to be successful. And to the extent that you're able to do those things better than your competition, you have an opportunity to create additional yield out of that particular relationship. Now, there's a really unique angle to industrial that we'll spend a second on, and that is the development side. If you're trying to develop an office building where it's got to be in a CBD, central business district, or it's got to be in an area where it's near to the people that work there, uh, industrial often happens in a much more planned methodology where there'll be 40 acres or 100 acres or you know 20 acres that's set aside as industrial. And within that, there's a master developer who then go courts individual businesses or industries and the very act of doing that can be profitable so you can profit from the industrial a sector without actually owning an industrial building but if you just are going to own a, a tenant occupied industrial space it's the same kind of due diligence on the tenant it's even more critical because those tend to have long vacancy times when someone moves out of your industrial building it could be five or six years before you find the new tenant yeah I, I think big picture if you really are interested in any of these niches, really any niche, it's really important that you spend time studying it. We got a buddy who has been for a long time in the residential space, and he's realizing that the cap rates are squeezed, and he's looking for another place to play. Yeah. And he spent over a year studying a completely different industry. He hasn't invested anything yet. He's just studying it. He's trying to figure out how it works, who the players are, where the opportunities really are, where the inefficiencies are, and how he can add value. He's a smart dude, and once he figures it out, we're sure he's going to be able to go in and do well, but he's smart enough to know he's not smart at it yet. He already knows a ton on it. In fact, we've even talked about having him on the show to talk about his new niche. And he's like, well, guys, I haven't done it yet, but he will. And when he does, maybe we shall. But it's it's a good point. And, and really, today we're scratching the surface. We're assuming most of our listeners aren't going to put their entire portfolio in industrial office or retail, but you want to have a cursory knowledge of it and the compared to what. And so from here, you can go to a lot of different resources. I've already mentioned some of the reports. Uh, what I did today is I took each one of these reports from a different brokerage house. This one is an industrial for the second quarter of 2015 from Colliers International. And again, most of these big brokerages 
put out reports that are great information. If you're interested in industrial, start reading about it. Start learning about it. The reports are generally free. You often have to register on the website. Then you can go to the next level, which is to be in some of the paid prescription uh, sites, and, and there's great information there. But you can start getting a ton of this stuff for free, not just for something else to do, but if you're interested in it. What's happening overall right now in terms of uh, North America and industrial? Well, absorption and occupancy have just reached a seven-year high. Really? What's absorption? How quickly vacancy turns into occupancy. And obviously, occupancy is what percentage of the buildings are, are occupied. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, they call out massive expansion in the industrial market. Conditions are strong with potential risks from abroad. So that's the big picture is that when you look at industrial, it's easy for other jurisdictions, whether that's states, counties, countries, to lure people in with all kinds of abatements and cheap land and different reasons why you might want to invest. So that's always a, a consideration here. Vacancies in North America and industrial declined by 19 basis points in the last year to 6.4%. So what's interesting about that, that's the 22nd straight quarter that vacancy has gone down in industrial. You know, I had heard that more manufacturing was coming back onto U.S. shores. And, uh, you know, again, these a lot of these things can be leading indicators, even if you're a residential investor, to understand what's going on in a particular market. So uh, I would definitely avail myself of these different free reports and start asking yourself, you know, how does this affect me, even if it's not my niche? And the reason we talk about so many broad topics on this show is to help you begin to see a 360 perspective of what's going on in the entire space. And then you have to drill down to figure out how that affects you either what you're doing right now or things that you may decide that you want to get involved in later. Now, here's a statement that I we could spend time analyzing, but we won't because we're out of time. But investors remain hungry for yield worldwide, and the safety that U.S.-denominated industrial assets provide is leading to a continued surge in mega deal activity. So what they're looking at is big deals. A lot of big deals are happening, but it's not all just first-level manufacturing. A lot of time, it's assembly of products that were made somewhere else, or the basis of the products are made where it's cheap, and the higher value ads in terms of manufacturing are done here. So you see that a lot. That's why that whole access to shipping becomes so important in distribution. Anyway, industrial, it's all an animal. Cap rates tend to be higher. Of the three groups we've talked about today, cap rates of industrial are strong. Not as strong as resort and hotel, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but, uh, but right in there. So anyway, today is not meant to be a complete... Uh, takeaway on the commercial markets, but we're trying to point out uh, kind of the big uh, swaths, if you will. And next week on the show, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of little niches that might make sense if you're in search of yield. Until then, go out and make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys radio show is brought to you by Paradigm Life, powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys radio show.